Hey, Johnny, that one was for Donington. Oh, come on, we've got to take these victories anywhere we can get them. Welcome to Bite Live again. <laughs> Let's go! Yes, this is episode 57 of Bike Live on Motorsport 101. A uh, little inside note for those of you that aren't listening live on Discord. We weren't supposed to be doing this as two separate shows, but here we are. Um, <laughs> hey! Warm welcome. This is the first time since the uh, the move across and since this new format that we've actually had to split bike lives. Um, and uh, yes, yeah, it's the second in the week. Um, as this time, we look back on the World Superbike, Supersport and Supersport 300 action that took place last weekend at Assen. Um, the latest round, the fourth round of the World Superbike Championship. As referenced in the intro, Tom Sykes finally getting his first win of the season, breaking Jonathan Ray's streak of victories in Assen, although he did extend that to eight the day before. Uh, we'll talk about all the action from that weekend. Johnny Ray's brilliant victory in the first race. Michael Vandermark coming closer than he's ever come to winning his first World Superbike race, and he did it on home soil as well. Um, and the Kawasaki team double that was completed by Tom Sykes in race two. And whether the new rules have in fact returned us back to the status quo again um, of the last few years. We'll also talk about all the craziness of World Super Sport as Jules Cluzel finally returned to winning ways. Although he, yes. was, very, although he was very nearly beaten by a guy who started at the back. Um, and <laughs> we'll talk all about the final lap seen around the world in World Super Sport 300. Um, as no less than four race leaders crashed out in the final half lap of the Grand Prix. It was an incredible, incredible race that we'll talk all about a little bit later on. Um, but joining me once again for, well, part two of this recording, hour three of this recording, but the first part of this second episode, if you get where I'm coming from, is Andre Harrison. Well, welcome, Dre. We've got Superbikes to talk about now. Uh, it's, it's, it's like... It's like, this is your first double taping. For me, yeah. I call it Tuesday. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I, I've been here before. I'm used to I eat double recordings for breakfast. Let's talk some super bikes. Yeah, uh, <laughs> we, uh, we had a great weekend and a great time. Um, if you didn't listen to episode 56, which we literally finished recording like 10 minutes ago, um, then do check it out <laughs> with, with myself, Dre, and, uh, and Patrick Hofstetter, who was a brilliant debutant on, uh, on Bike Live this week, uh, talking all about the Grand Prix of the Americas. Um, that took place last weekend. Mark Marquez's sixth victory in a row um, in the uh, in the good state of Texas. So we'll talk about that on episode 56. Do check that out if you haven't already. Um, places you can find us, though, um, facebook.com forward slash motorsport101. On Twitter, we are at motorsport underscore 101. Um, our YouTube channel is youtube.com forward slash motorsport101 as well. Um, around a month to go until Day of Classics returns, so keep an eye on that. Um, in yes. the month of May. That's coming very soon. Um, our website is motorsport101.net and if you back us financially uh, on Patreon at a $5 level, you can earn yourself early access to both of our weekly shows. Uh, you can do that at patreon.com forward slash motorsport101. Um, if you back us at a $10 level, you get access to our Discord server and you can listen to this show live as Henry Chapman is doing at this very second. Um, so good evening to you, Henry. Boy. Um, uh, you can do that too by backing us at the $10 level. Um, on Patreon, um, so do uh, do that if you can. We uh, very much appreciate your support, Dre in particular, who is using um, the increased support from you guys to uh, upgrade his audio equipment. Um, this so is the you... last show I'll have to record with my mediocre equipment. Like I ordered <laughs> today on Amazon. I'm, I again, a special thanks as well to Tom Brooks, who all round good egg and MotoGP social media voiceover guy. If you've played Grand Turismo Sport, you've probably heard his voice without even realizing. All around good egg and was very helpful in picking this stuff out for me. So, Tom, if you're listening, thanks an awful lot, buddy. Yeah, we need to get him on the show as well at some stage. We um, do, good lord. The show. Um, if Dawn will give it the uh, the okay. Um, but yeah, let's get cracking then with uh, the World Superbike action last weekend. And uh, let's start with what happened uh, on Saturday. And um, a weekend started um, in kind of unusual circumstances, but the perfect circumstances if your name is Rebecca James. Hope you're listening, Bex. Alex Lowe's took his first ever poll. Um, on the Saturday. Um, didn't quite go his way in the race, though. We did have a Yamaha fighting for the win, though, um, in the form of Michael Vandermark, who was still chasing his first ever win in World Superbikes. Um, and, of course, what would have been a memorable victory on home soil. He didn't quite get it, Dre. Um, a guy called Jonathan Ray saw to that. Uh, <laughs> I know. Really good at Assen. And, uh, that was 18 yeah, that Eighth, eighth consecutive winner Assen is 12th in his career which I think ties Carl Fogarty's record for most Assen victories 
with 12 in his career. He's phenomenal around here, but what a phenomenal effort from Michael Vandermark. Like, Aston, he just comes alive. He really does. It's like he finds an extra half second he doesn't have on any other circuit. He's He was immense, both race one and two. He was uh, completely unafraid, unintimidated by the, the by the elite runners around him in there that um, turned into a bit of a punch-up, especially in the early going. Um, but he, he, he looks right at home and asked, he could, he could see he was being cheered on by the home fans and like the, the fans went potty when he came over the line in second. He hadn't even won the race and they were just so happy for him. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a phenomenal spectacle, a much deserved pair of second places. I, I think it was particularly racy in, in, in race one. I, um, I, I think he, I think he was fantastic and he, he belongs in the front and I, I hope Yamaha can give them a little bit more so that he can challenge the wins a bit more consistently because the guy's a phenomenal talent when 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 everything comes together he's so fast um mm. just not quite today but again he he, he likes Assen up and Assen is better with him being there in the superbike paddock for sure yeah absolutely well we'll perhaps talk about more the, the implications within his team a little bit later on because it does appear as if the tide is rather turning um, within that Pati Yamaha squad at the moment, um, although Alex Lowe's has certainly had the fair share of the bad luck within that team this season. Uh, but we'll cover that in a moment. First of all, though, we have to talk about the winner, Jonathan Ray, who qualified second to Alex Lowe's um, on Saturday. And then, as much as you can say it when a guy only wins by just under a second, he kind of controlled it, Dre. I mean, I know he always had guys behind him. He had Vandermark, Davies, and a, and a fast-closing Sykes behind him at the end of race one. Um, but it just appeared as if Jonathan Ray had that extra two or three tenths of a second in his pocket when he needed it. And with about three laps to go, he decided to deploy it. Yeah, it was, it, the, the pin got pulled with about three to go on front. He, he, he knew if, if, if there was ever going to be an attack from the rear, it was going to happen then. Um, yeah, and he, he delivered. Um, he, he had an extra couple of attempts in reserve, and he, he deployed it with about three laps to go. He got that one second advantage and, you know, did what he needed to do to get the win. Michael just didn't have an answer for him at the end. Neither did Chaz Davis, unfortunately. Um, we, were, we were denied a, a, a tense last lap dogfight, you could say, um, for the victory. But um, still, a, 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 a again, another phenomenal ride from Jonathan Ray. Almost, it almost gets boring saying this about just how fantastic he can be. When he's when he's at his best, he's untouchable. And then and again, he, he never looked like he wasn't going to win that race. He, he looked like he had a little bit more compared to everybody else in the field um yeah he delivered in in the clutch when it mattered most yeah he did and um again he just emphasizes just what an incredible rider this guy is and just how he, he thinks his way through a race and manages the race where you know he he decided when he and he, he illustrated this when he spoke to charlie hiscott of eurosport after the race that he he recognized very early on that he couldn't break them that he couldn't get away and what he initially wanted to do was just break away and set his own pace and, and lead by a couple seconds mm. and have that that race under control. But once he realized he couldn't do that, it all became about saving his tire and making sure he had some tire left at the end of the race for that one big push towards the end where he could finally break them and win the race. And that's essentially what he did. And it was pretty clear that Van der Mark was having to use more of his tire to stay with him, um, to try and, you know, put that Yamaha where he wanted it and try and win a, what would have been a memorable race on home soil. And Jonathan Ray just had a bit more in his hand, in, in hand at the end of the race to, to try and break away. And it, it comes on the heels straight of the first sort of incremental change in the regulations. We were always mm. promised that there would be changes after rounds three, six, and nine of this season, this 13-round season. Um, three rounds in, we saw Ducati have their wings clipped to a certain extent. I believe the clarification that we got was that there wasn't necessarily a change in revs, but that the, all, all the other manufacturers were allowed upgraded parts or allowed to introduce upgraded parts. But mm-hmm. it was noticeable how the Kawasaki suddenly came to the fore and the Ducati's dipped. Was that purely coincidental, or did the regulations have something to do with that? Hmm. <laughs> I'm not sure on this one, because last year, Chaz Davis was on the brink of a dogfight with Jonathan Ray in the race one attempt for the victory, but then, dot, 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 of course, Chaz, Chaz Davis's engine blew up on the final lap of that race. So Ducati have taken a step back compared to last year, at least on the same circuit and in similar conditions. At least, I mean, again, as you said, they were allowed upgrade. Everyone else is allowed a certain, you know, new amount of upgrades, and they were also given 250 revs back. Mm. Um, the rev limit was increased for every manufacturer except for Ducati. Um, they were given 250 RPM back. So, 
I don't think 250 rems would have was the difference maker that suddenly made Kawasaki fundamentally better than Ducati this weekend. I think there's a bit more to it than that, but I, I think Dorna needs to be a little bit careful here because they're playing with fire when it comes yeah. to changing these rev limits to rounds so much because I don't think this is an exact science and, and, and they risk getting it very wrong. Yeah, if they, if I, they, I think it's, it's, it's difficult to be so reactive to results when... Yes. Some circuits are going to suit some bikes more than others. I mean, it's it's clear it's clear from history that this circuit has always favoured Johnny Ray. He's as as we mentioned, his race one victory was his eighth in succession um, around Assen. Um, all of which, of course, have come on. Uh, well, seven of those have come on Kawasaki's, and the first of those was on a Honda back in 2014. Um, but uh, the fear I have with this, uh, and this kind of hits on your point, is that. Kawasaki might find themselves getting the wheels clipped in three rounds' time because we've seen them win both races at Assen. We don't know what's going to happen at Imola, but then Donington's next, which is quite likely going to be a Tom Sykes double weekend. And then what happens then? Did Kawasaki get dragged back again because they won four out of six? Yeah, like it's it's. I said this from from day one. I wasn't sure that that, that clipping people's revs was the right idea from the start, and I think we're starting to see the problems yeah. of, of, of of changing rev limits and whatnot because they turned... It looks like they've turned Aston from a weekend where anybody could win into a weekend where Kawasaki won both races comfortably in the end, mm. especially in race two. Yeah, got a one-two. Yeah, exactly, a one-two in the second race. So all of a sudden, it's like you've just given Kawasaki a gift by, by giving them an upgrade before Aston. So they, they need to be careful. And as you said, like, Imola is up next, I think, right? And Imola yep. is a Chaz Davis circuit. With the limits that are now in place, is Kawasaki going to be more competitive now in Imola? Mm. Like, they're going to have to be careful here. Um, because if 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 by hook or by crook, if Ray or Sykes is a threat in Imola, and then as you said, like Donington is after that, which is the Tom Sykes round on the calendar, what are you going to do after round six? Are you going to take another 250 rounds off Kawasaki to try and balance the field again? It's not an exact science. And this... This is problematic. I said from the start that I don't think the racing was questionable enough to justify such radical changes. And mm. I'm starting to see cracks appear in this in, in this system that Dawn is employing where they're, they're, they're so stringent on trying to balance the field. Mm. Yeah, they, yeah, they're going to have to be careful because as, as we mentioned, some circuits are just going to play into the, the hands of some, some bikes more than others. And as we mentioned, Assen has always been a particularly friendly circuit to Jonathan Ray and Kawasaki. And Jonathan Ray has now got himself into a position, Dre, where with that second place in race in race two, which obviously wasn't what he was going for, even though he came from ninth mm. on the grid. Um, but he did finish quite a long way clear of Chaz Davies, who was only fifth. We'll talk about Chaz's weekend uh, in a moment. Um, but Jonathan Ray, from what looked like a very, very close championship battle, and we, we said as much after Aragon, we thought we got a real championship on, Johnny Ray suddenly eked out a 30-point lead again. <laughs> Guys, it might be over. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not even exaggerating. You can't give Jonathan Ray a race in hand. That's too big an advantage. He doesn't make those sorts of mistakes. So I'd be like, but that's the thing. Jonathan Ray doesn't doesn't have rider errors. He's been very like like the issues he's had has come through stuff that wasn't his fault. And I think that's happened pretty much the entire time um in this dominant era of Ray for the last three and a bit years now where it's been the bike that's let him down on occasion but he doesn't make mistakes and all of a sudden him having a 30 point lead again and ray taking 45 points out of Aston's weekend again a, a lot more than anybody else in the field um is is a problem it's a big problem and uh yeah again as you said like like Ray goes well at Donington, like he'll he's probably going to be gunning for a pair of seconds at Assen and or at Imola, I should say, and 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 forty points out of Imola would be fine. Like he can he, he can afford to give up ten points to Chaz Davis if assuming Chaz takes a double. Um, that's doable. That's very doable given that Ray seems to have the advantage over Tom Sykes again for the most part. So yeah, like there's. There's a lot of positive reasons for Jonathan Ray going into Imola next weekend. Um, it's, it's 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 coming up roses for him. This was this was a fantastic weekend for his title to get his title campaign back on track, and all of a sudden he's looking in a very comfortable position again. Yeah, he is. He's looking very very good 
uh, indeed. And yeah, Chaz Davies is almost going to need to not. He's going to have to double him a little, but he's going to need the likes of Melandri, Forres, Rinaldi to all get in there, isn't he? Um, and try and upset yeah. Kawasaki. Um, but we'll talk about Davies in a moment. Let's 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 cover race two then, and and the first win of the year uh, for Tom Sykes, who depending on who you believe has had a, either a poor or an unlucky start to the season. Um, <laughs> he, he was keen to stress the latter after his win um, on Sunday and that things just didn't go his way in Thailand and he chose the wrong tyre in Aragon um, and so on. But whoever you believe, Dre, whichever camp you're in, whether you think he's had a, a good start to the season or a bad one, he needed that victory badly, didn't he? He did. He did. Just, just, to, just to steady the ship a little bit because Sykes had just struggled with results especially like never... from race two pole he had to convert that yes and like like the, the only annoying thing about race two was because of the way the grids are calibrated because of the reverse grid rule which is quite seemingly becoming more redundant by the race now because they gifted tom sykes race two and there's no mm. disrespect to tom sykes but with all your other major runners starting on the back of row two or early row three in this case Sykes's race pace was as good as anyone in the leading field. The advantage of starting race two from pole compared to, you know, seventh if you finish in third compared to starting from pole by finishing fourth, it's too big a difference now because we gave you gave Sykes a clear run and clear air off the off off the grid on from pole in race two. It was too big an advantage. Everybody else was fighting to get through the field, and by that point, the race was already over because Sykes had the, a similar level of race pace to everybody else in the field. And the massive advantage of starting the race from pole position. And that that was it. It was over. And, you know, if you're so insistent on trying to balance the field, why have you got reverse grids now? Hmm. Just throwing it out there. Yeah, it is a good question worth asking. And uh, I think, yeah, the race two pole was certainly a very powerful tool for Tom Sykes. As you mentioned, he did have race winning potential pace anyway. Um, but, hmm. yeah... It, I, I just I think it was a bit of a, a bit of a perfect storm in one respect in that there happened to be four guys with race winning pace and obviously only three of them mm. could get on the podium. So whichever of those four didn't get on the podium was always going to be at a huge advantage in race two. Uh, it just happened to be Sykes that was the fourth man in race one that happened to have that pole position. Um, and whatever whatever the advantage he had, he had to convert that. As I say, and, and I tweeted real time on that first lap. I tweeted clear off Tom. Because um, I was like, he's, go, he, go, yeah, go. he's got, you've got to make, you've got to exploit this because it's clear you've got the same sort of pace as these guys. If you can get yourself a second to two seconds immediately right out of the gate around a place like Aston, that's going to be very hard to pull back, however good you are. Um, and, mm-hmm. and, 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 and Tom Sykes clearly recognized that, that he had to get out front early and just gap them immediately, whatever it cost, no matter what, how much he took out of his tire. And that was the real sort of factor that Johnny Ray said afterwards that he was still clinging on to even when he got up to second and he was five seconds behind he was just clinging on to hope that Tom Sykes had ruined his tyre by building up that lead but it just turned out he hadn't he just had that clear track and Johnny Ray of course mm-hmm. didn't by getting up to second and in many ways Dre Shaky Byrne touched on this after race two um, so I'm going to bring it up now it kind of hits on one of the frustrations um, within Tom Sykes and I can mm. tell you from experience one of the frustrations of being a fan <laughs> of his um, in that it's very, very clear that in clear track with empty tarmac ahead of him on his own, Tom Sykes has bordering on unrivaled pace. But it's clear yeah. that when you put him in a pack with riders ahead of him, he can't overtake them. And that's clearly yeah. going to be that, that for, until he gets over that hurdle, he's never going to be a match for Johnny Ray, is he? No, I think I think Shaky was absolutely you know nail on the head. Um, f- talking about after race two and talking about Tom Sykes. It's yeah. Shaky Bird said if he'd have taken third in yesterday's race, or if he'd won race one, there's no way he was going to race win, win race two from ninth on the grid. No, no chance. And Shaky Shaky was spot on. Like he can't overtake. He hasn't got that extra half attempt or that extra five yards under braking. Is that aggressive? Where he can- yeah, the extra level of aggression that Jonathan Ray was so masterful at last year. Like that was the that was the that was the one Jonathan Ray title last year is that he was so unbelievable from starting from eighth or ninth place um, to you know to to win race two from ninth on the grid. He's, he's having a harder time of doing that now this year. He's not won a race two so far this season, Jonathan Ray, but. Like the way it's going right now in the field, like last year was the walk in example. Jonathan Ray was bullying his way to the front of the building in two or three laps. Tom Sykes was always taking, you know, 
five, six, seven, maybe half the race before he could get into a position that was relative to the ability of him and his bike. You give Sykes clear air, he's absolutely fantastic. He's almost impossible to beat. You put him in a pack, he's not winning it. It's as simple as that, because other people like, I'd say Ray Davis and Vandermark in particular, have that extra level of aggression that they can make a they they can make a lunge or they can make a aggressive move stick that Tom Sykes just doesn't seem to have the extra cojones to do for some reason. And it, it's hurting. It's hurting badly in these championship campaigns. It's probably the biggest difference maker between him and Jonathan Ray is that Ray has a level of aggression combined with with almost unparalleled speed. Hmm. Yeah, what Tom Sykes has got to hope, I suppose, is that just the, the pure confidence he gets from winning this race um, will enable him to kick on. I mean, it, it was noticeable to me how emotional he was um, after, after winning that race um, in oh, race yeah. two. Given that even though that it was a race two, given that he'd, he'd taken full advantage of the reverse grid pole. And as you mentioned, separate point, but you mentioned that whether the, re- the race two reverse grid is redundant now. I'm pretty certain. I mean, forgive, forgive, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's the first time a race two pole man's won, isn't it? Since these new rules have come in. Um, I'm pretty, I think so. I'm pretty I'm, sure I'm that's the first back. time um, someone has won from race two pole, and that was uh, just that was just an instance where the fastest bike in the field somehow happened to be on race two pole, um, right. which isn't really what the what the, the format is designed for. So uh, yeah, yeah, again, that is on the point as to whether you know this is the first time it's actually been converted into a win. Yeah, how, yeah how I, 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 just, I, I just double-checked last season's results. Yeah, Henry's 100% right as well. That's the first time a a race a race two pole sitter has converted to a victory. Yeah, um, and yeah, that again hits on just how how useful and how powerful that is actually being at the moment. Uh, but yeah, as I say, Tom Sykes, he, he needs to take some confidence from this. And the emotion that came out of him just emphasised how much this meant to him. He's had some domestic issues, it appears, over the winter. Um, back at home, which oh, obviously wow. affected him, um, and you know he was he was unwell for a lot of last year. So you know he's he, he's not without his problems, um, but no. he, he still he still needs to try and find this this consistent level. And again, it's the source of the frustration. This is how good he can be. He's he's not a world champion for no reason. Um, so it's just a case of if he can find this more regularly, because if he can, who knows what he can achieve, and how who knows how closer run he can give Jonathan Ray. Over the course of a season, it's just unfortunately, the way his season has started, he's given him 58 points up, up for grabs. He's given him 58 points of an advantage already that no matter how good Tom Sykes is for the rest of this year, he can probably forget winning this year's world title. Um, unfortunately, yeah. that already looks like it's going to go to either Jonathan Ray uh, or Chaz Davies. Um, and let's talk about Chaz then. He, he's second in the championship at the moment, um, but a third and a fifth for Chaz um, from the weekend at Assen. Um, third in race one when he was legitimately in the fight for the win, so he wasn't exactly uncompetitive there. Um, but apparent tyre problems caused him to fade in race two and finish a very lonely fifth. Um, but it's got to be a source of concern, Dre, that Ducati were legitimately the third fastest bike at Assen. Indeed. Yeah, and I think I think Alex Lowe's would have, would have played more of a factor, especially in race one if they actually correct tire on his bike on the yeah. grid yamaha what were you doing um but um yeah i think you're completely right i think michael vandam clearly the biggest threat to the kawasaki's in both races um yeah. again like he like vandamark was within breathing distance of jonathan ray on both races um you can't ask for much more than that from vandamark in a in a field in a situation where those kawasaki's are so broken and so consistent um, in the superbike field and Yamaha, um, you know, they only tend to really be competitive maybe once or twice a season, like we saw last year here, and maybe at Misano might be the other occasion where maybe Philip Arden, where we had Yamahas in the contention for wins, and it didn't seem like it was some sort of fluke. Um, but yeah, it, it must be a concern that you know a, a week after the regulations change, or um, or they, they they give Kawasaki and everybody else a little about like Dorna realised that oh yeah, Ducati seems to be the best all rounder in the field right now. Let's let's peg him in a little bit here, and one round later, it's had the complete inverse effect. Ducati, who, as we said, were much stronger here last year, especially in the case of Chaz. Then Chaz goes home with a third and a fifth. Marco Melandri a sixth and a seventh. They just they just weren't there um, this weekend. They, they were legitimately behind the Yamahas in terms of pure pace, and mm. uh, yeah, just uh, a bit of an eyebrow raiser for Chaz, who's now all of a sudden staring at a thirty-point deficit. Yeah, a bit of a worry for Chaz. He's thirty points behind. Marco Melandri's even further behind now. He's forty-four behind Jonathan Ray. 
Um, and, and I hate to say this because because we love Marco Melandri. He's a he's a he's a legend of, of the sport in the last 10, 15 years, both in mm-hmm. the World's GP paddock and in this paddock. Um, but if you take his double out of the the equation in Phillip Island, he's gone eighth, seventh, fourth, third, sixth, and seventh. Um, and he's been beaten by Chevy Forres in a number of those races um, as well. Um, was beaten by Forres in both races at Assen. Um, I hate to say it, but it's looking more and more like that that double in and Philip Island was something of a flash in the pan for Marco. Indeed, one podium finish since then, only two out of his last six in the top five, which given the bike he's on, given that, you know, Chaz Davis again has had, you know, six podium finishes out of the first eight races. Torres um, beat him on the MV this weekend. Yeah, yeah, that's that's not a good sign. Jordi Torres was uh, was in race two, but uh it's it's a shame it's it's like so like i have to ask like the question i have to ask is like it looks like the jacati baseline this year is a lot higher than it was last year i think last year a lot of it was down to Chaz often overriding that jacati in desperation to give jonathan ray a fight mm. this year i think xavi forez has been the x factor xavi's pace i think has proven that jacati has got a much better bike this year overall compared to where it was last year because they've now got two front gunners by the looks of it like Xavi Forez has only finished one race outside of the top five this season and has 100 points through the first eight rounds he's only 15 behind Melandri in the championship and this is with the fact that Melandri got almost half his points out of the opening weekend yeah and since, since for the pilot Forez has beaten Melandri four out of the six races since so it looks like by all accounts Melandri is trending below the curve and um yeah that's not a good sign and i think if he keeps up he's, he's gonna end up slipping to, to zavi and probably tom sykes in, in the championship standings as, as, as the race goes on as, as the season goes on it's a shame because like, again i, I think Mark, marco is clearly capable of better than this mm-hmm. i don't know how much of that is, 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 is that is the problems with the uh the shakes that his bike seems yeah. to develop this year as well which uh we still saw a bit of that acid as well again which is just alarming that uh He's the only guy in the field whose bike seems to act like that. It's very bizarre. Um, but, yeah, it's just that that double win in Australia might have been fool's gold for Marco to a degree. Mm, yeah, it's looking like that, isn't it? And we've mentioned Forres, um, who, as I mentioned, has now beaten Melandri in four out of the six races we've seen since Phillip Island. And he might well have beaten him in one of the other two in Aragon had he not fallen off whilst leading the race um, in that one as well. Um, but, all in all, it's... Still a positive season for, for Xavi Forres. He's finished fifth and fourth at Aston, which isn't quite the same heights of the first three rounds where he had a podium at each of the three rounds prior to that. Uh, and he will no doubt have been targeting the same. But we shouldn't overlook the fact, Dre, even though Ducati had a poor weekend, that Xavi Forres was the first Ducati home in race two. He was indeed. Um, I, think that's, I think that might be the first time that's happened since the, since the first race in Thailand. Where's that? Um, again, another this guy's continued improvement. Again, this is a guy that has had, has had the capability and the potential to get this type of field, but he's doing it on a regular basis now. Like if if Zavi keeps it upright, he's finishing in the top five. And now remember that, that one DNF was a race he very well could have won. Um, so it's Zavi Forrest is right up there in the title fight for me, or at least in the fight for third, which yeah. is very close between him, Sykes, Vandermark, and Melandri. Only 15 points covering third through sixth in the title standings as uh, eight races in um so zavi is up there and like he is now an elite rider in the field for, for me like uh, alongside you know sykes ray davies and to a lesser degree maybe van der mark as well like he is the best of the rest out of the the bona fide big two i would argue so yeah zavi is doing a tremendous job and having a second gunner for jacati but not the guy you're probably expecting um is is very nice to see. Mm, yeah, brilliant, brilliant weekend. Uh, just to add to a brilliant season for Forres. Um, but let's talk Yamaha and let's talk about the, the differing fortunes for their two riders. Michael van der Mark, who had a brilliant double podium at his home round, second and so nearly a win uh, in race one, and then through from the third row to finish third um, in race two, whereas his teammate um, took his first ever pole uh, on the Saturday um, and then just promptly had misfortune after misfortune after that as as Dre alluded to a moment ago the wrong tyre was fitted to his bike uh, for race one um, 
basically he chose one compound and then I believe it was his front tyre was a completely different compound than he'd actually requested. Um, which is bizarre how that kind of thing can happen um, in a world championship race. It, 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 I just don't understand that um, at all. Um, baffling. Baffling. So he finished down in 12th and then crashed in race 2 and finished down in 14th. Um, to explain what happened in race 1, he had engine fears with his first bike, so they rushed out his second bike. Um, and obviously in the rush to fit the, to get his second bike ready, they fitted the wrong front tyre. Um, and, and that was what cost him uh, in the end. Um First of all, before we talk about the differing fortunes of their riders, Dre, we, we mentioned the the fact that Yamaha were the second fastest bike from Ducati's point of view and how it affects them. But let's talk Yamaha and how it affects them because for them to make the progress they've made since the first round in Phillip Island where they were underwhelming from where we thought they'd mm. be, to be leaving Assen, all right, it's only Assen, but to be the second fastest team, second fastest bike at Assen is a measure of their progress. Yeah, I mean, Vandermark has free podium finishes already thailand in race two it's this yamaha team has definitely improved i mean they are still probably outside of maybe chavi flores and the rules regarding satellite teams getting getting bigger concessions they've been the biggest gainers of the new system and we kind of predicted that to a degree hmm. but vandermark is right in there now with davis and melandry in terms of you know championship position and whatnot and Vandermark is in the top five a lot more frequently. He's had three podiums this year, and again, I know Assen. Um, I know Assen is is a signature round for Vandermark, and he always seems to find a little bit more around there, regardless of what bike he's on. Um, he's still doing a very good job. He's been very consistent. He's finished every single race this year in the top ten, um, and he's been in the top five for the last five races on the bounce. So. He, he's he's doing a very good job, and like he, he looks like he's he's broken off from Lowe's after this weekend, which is a bit of a shame because that's not totally on Lowe's. That's not totally Lowe's fault, especially for race one. Um, race two was a was a bit of a classic Lowe's, unfortunately. But uh, sorry, Max. But um, it's it's uh, race one. Race one was certainly not his fault, and and very unfortunate um, in that regard that he missed out. Um, but. Yeah, as you said, like they have definitely gained from this from the new rules and there are new regulations and they've, they've they've been given a bit more and they've they've taken it with both hands and they're doing a very very good job. Mm. Uh, and how worried should Alex Lowe's be by this apparent turn uh, in fortunes at Yamaha? I mean, Lowe's was the the stronger rider last year, not by much, but he was a stronger rider. He finished ahead of Vandermark in the championship, um, but. From his brilliant pole position, obviously it didn't really go his way, and you can, can't really argue any of that was his fault. But Vandermark has now jumped a long way clear of him in the championship. Vandermark now on 103 points. He's 27 clear of Alex Lowe's in the championship, and we know that those two riders are going to be very key, very keen to win that inter-team battle uh, come the end of the season. Alex Lowe says, "I know how fast I am," um, and that you know his results weren't necessarily reflective of his performance, but. Mm -hmm. that gap in points between him and his teammate will be a little bit longer and a little bit bigger than he perhaps would want. 27 is a lot, especially when you're fighting for points compared to the top where the gaps get smaller between positions and points given out. Um, so 27 is actually a bit more significant than it looks on paper. Um, you're right. I mean, I think, I think on paper, those two are very evenly matched. They're often together on track. They often battle against each other. We saw it at Aragon. They beat the crap out of each other um, during, during that race, trying to get one of them. Those two are very competitive. They seem to have a lot of respect for each other on track. Um, but they, they, they certainly fight very hard out there. And um, there is clearly a bit of inter-team rivalry. I mean, again, Alex, a bit of a chip, a bit of a chip on his shoulder, given his, uh, let's shall we say not so favorable time of suzuki in the past mm. in world superbikes and his struggles there van the mark you know was you know his honda time was difficult um outside of assen you know again he had something to prove of gintoli alongside him as a teammate back in the past and you know he was given a big chance and you remember he was given the seat over josh brooks to, to be in this yamaha team in the first place who probably knew that r1 better than anyone on the planet at that point in time and they knocked back brooks so they could bring him in and um you know he's justified it so far that's a, still a very very good team from top to bottom that yamaha team was very consistent and you know two guys on a very good level they don't you know they don't make an awful lot of mistakes and they're and they're, they're, they're pretty quick 
Um, so the Yamaha dynamic is always interesting. They're just not quite where they want to be. I think they still need another two or three temps where they can really start putting pressure on Ducati and Kawasaki consistently. But um, it's always it is always very eye opening to see the uh, the inter team fights between the Yamaha and, and the dynamic there. Twenty seven points is about as, probably about is about as big a gap as those two have had competing against each other since they started out. So. Uh, yeah, definitely one to keep an eye on. It is. Alex Lowe's will no doubt hope that he can bounce back and redress that balance in Imola for the next round of the championship, uh, which is coming up very, very soon. Yamaha as a whole, though, will no doubt leave Aston very, very happy with their weekend to take two podiums and their first, I think it's their first outright pole position um, since mm-hmm. returning to the series with this new R1 uh, as well. And, you know, there are no, there are no flu- yeah, you can engineer yourself onto pole in race two, but pole in race one is determined on outright pace and pace alone and Yamaha were the fastest fastest boys out there on Saturday in Super Pole and Alex Lowe is taking that pole position um, mm. is some result and um, Bandemark actually set the fastest lap in race one as well um, so that bike was genuinely fast in both the mm-hmm. hands of Bandemark and Lowe so a good weekend of progress um, for Yamaha um, one manufacturer who also had a good weekend that perhaps doesn't get mentioned much are MB Augusta um, who had a ninth place finish with Jordi Torres in race one, but their result in race two is one of the standout results, not just of the weekend, but arguably of the season, Dre, for Jordi Torres, our favourite Spanish Elvis, um, yes. to come through in race two, finish sixth, and beat Marco Melandri to the flag in a straight fight. That takes some doing. That's a phenomenal job from Jordi. That's probably the best bike in the field. I know we, we talked about Melandri being a bit below that bike's full potential at the moment, but that's still a phenomenal result. I mean, okay, Jordi Torres is not going to be Leon Camilla for year one on that bike, and we've we've been critical of Envy Augusta's true ability in the past, and they just don't have the resources that a lot of the big factories do. Um, but any, I mean, Torres, uh, in the races he has been, he's been in the top 10, you know, five times, and a sixth place on that bike is a phenomenal effort. And they're probably only going to be a big gap as these factories spend more and more and try and be more meticulous with these restrictions that the series is now putting upon them. Again, phenomenal job from Jordi Torres. He, he did, he's, he's done the Lord's work to get to get ahead of the Ducati there. Sixth place is a, is a terrific result. Yeah, another result worthy of mentioning is uh, the seventh place for Loris Baz. Um, as well that we saw um, in race one. That was uh, BMW's best of the season so far. He backed that up with an eighth in race two, um, even though he'd started fourth on the grid for that that second race. He still finished um, Mm. in a solid eighth position. That's uh, the best BMW of luck this season. Um, The other manufacturers, though, had poor weekends by comparison. Aprilia really didn't. They kind of flattered to deceive, didn't they, Dre, with Savadori's fourth place on the grid um, Mm. in Super Bowl. They never really um, built on that. Um, Savadori finishing race one all the way down in 15th behind teammate Giuliano, uh, who was 13th. Mm. And then they finished together in 10th and 11th uh, in race two, some 24 seconds off the winner. Um, but we have to mention Honda as well, um, who are having a rotten time of it at the moment, as if last season wasn't unlucky enough for them. Mm. They lost Leon Camia to that sickening injury um, oh. that he suffered uh, last time out in Aragon. And then they lost they lost Jake Gagne before Friday practice had even finished, and that was another scary crash. Yeah, another massive high side that, uh, that, that Jake had taken on that one. Um, I think it was I think it was concussion like symptoms that that pulled Jake off Jake out from the weekend in mm. the end. And um, if it's a concussion, I am absolutely glad that Honda did the right thing and immediately yanked him out of the weekend because. We've talked about concussions before. De Petrucci second impact syndrome is definitely a thing, um, and it can be fatal um, in the wrong circumstances. So I am very glad, if anything else, that uh, that that Honda did the right thing and removed Jake from the seat for the weekend. They did the right thing, as even to the detriment of their own team's performance. Um, I'm glad that rider safety was given top priority here. But that is just wretched luck for Honda. They only ran the one bike yeah. this weekend thinking that uh, Camille will probably be back for Imola. Um, so they're just going to run the one bike this weekend with Jake. And again, he he, he does, he picks up a double DNS, did not start. Um, so yeah, Honda take absolutely nothing away from Assen with just the one bike at all. So it's a, a wretched weekend for Honda, just horrific luck by, by all accounts. And mm. um, hope again, again, wish them both a speedy recovery and hope they're both on the grid for Imola. Yeah. Real shame for them. And uh, it's, as I mentioned on the, on last week's episode of bike live, 
um, which was two episodes now again, as, as we talked to you, um, was mm. that this is kind of their home round because it's the Tenkate team that runs the Red Bull Honda World Superbike team. And Tenkate, are, of course, are a Dutch company, a Dutch tuning company. So it's, it's as close as they're going to get to a home round at Red Bull Honda. Um, so for them not to even get a bike onto the grid for either race is, is a real shame for them. And through no fault of their own, both of their riders out through injury. Um, let's run you through the results then from the Aston World Superbike round. Then Johnny Ray, the winner in race one, uh, taking it by nine tenths of a second in the end from Michael van der Mark. Chas Davies in third, just ahead of Tom Sykes. Uh, Chevy Forres, best of the rest in fifth, with Melandri in sixth, Loris Baz in seventh. Tati Mikado, 8th on the Oralac Kawasaki. Jordi Torres, ninth on the MV Augusta. And Toprak Rasgati Oglun, 10th for Kawasaki on the Pachetti bike. Uh, Roman Ramos in 11th. Alex Lowe's, who had the wrong front tyre on, as we mentioned, down to 12th. Uh, Giuliano, 13th on the first of the Aprilias. PJ Jacobson, the one Honda that did race last weekend um, for Triple M in 14th. Uh, and Lorenzo Savadori in 15th position on the second of the Aprilias takes the final point. Race 2 went to Sykes from pole. Um, five and a half seconds clear of Jonathan Ray in second. That's the first Kawasaki 1-2 and the first 1-2 for any team this year. Uh, Michael van der Mark in third ahead of Forres and Davies. Uh, Torres in sixth ahead of Melandri. Baz took eighth ahead of Rascatioglu and Savadori uh, with Giuliano next up in 11th. Michael Ruben Rinaldi, who's um, only really um, sort of headline-grubbing incident for the weekend was how he bought Sykes in Super Bowl. Um, he took 12th in race two ahead of Jacobson. Lowe's only 14th and Andre Jezek um, on the Guandolini, Yamaha takes the final point in 15th position. Championship standings, Jonathan Ray has taken control of it now. He's 30 clear of Chance Davies um, with Marco Melandri a further 14 points back. Michael van der Mark is up to fourth now on 103 points. He's 56 off the lead. Two ahead of Tom Sykes, who's climbed up to fifth. Chavi Forres, despite a solid weekend for him, drops a spot to sixth uh, with Alex Lowe's down to seventh now. Razgatioglu is eighth. Baz is ninth. And despite not starting either race in either of the last three races, uh, Leon Camier still holds on to a spot in the overall top 10. It sounds like we're running on rather quickly on this show. It's because we're both desperate to talk about these super sport races. So we'll do that in a moment. Yes. on Bike Live. Let's talk Super Sport because the Super Sport 600 and Super Sport 300 classes arguably produced the best two races of the entire weekend anywhere on two wheels last weekend. Um, so let's start with the World Super Sport class, the 600cc class. Um, and in many ways, as we have for the last few rounds, I kind of want to start by talking about Keenan Tafoglu, um, who remains the topic of conversation. I don't know about you, Jay. Did you see his interview um, with Eurosport on the Saturday? Um, I didn't, unfortunately. No, and I know, um, and shout out to a good friend of mine looking spiffy told me, would have begged me to watch it, and I never got around to finding it. Yeah. God damn it. What, what a lovely guy. What a, just, I, it was, a, you know, in some ways it was, it was difficult to watch because you could see how, how much he wants to, to keep racing. And mm. he, he basically said as much without actually saying the words that he's, he's pretty much going to retire. He says he's, he has to think about the rest of his life and think about his health and think about his family. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and all that sort of stuff, and just how well the guy spoke, and you could see him getting almost kind of emotional when Shaky Byrne was stood next to him and tapping, tapping him on the shoulder and saying, you know, me and James Whitten, who is a former World Super Sport rider himself, let's not forget, mm-hmm. um, Shaky was saying, you know, me and Whit were talking in the, kind of in the hotel last night, and we both think you're the best World Super Sport rider of all time. Um, and you yeah. could see how much that meant to Keenan, um, who, despite having won all the championships, still almost seemed a little taken aback how highly Shaky Bird, a British Superbike champion, thought of him. Um, and it was really nice to see him. Um, we were expecting before the time, before we talked to you next on Bike Live, um, that there may well be an, an official announcement on that from, from Keenan Safoglu, um, who looks like he's heading for uh, retirement. In his absence, mm. we got an absolute classic of a World Supersport race. One of the races of the year. Um, and I can see that even without knowing what's going to happen in the next six or seven months, this will be one of the races we'll talk about in November at the end of the season as one of the races of 2018. Uh, a brilliant, brilliant race. Um, and we'll talk about the winner in a moment, Dre, but we have to talk about the, the chronology of this and how this became an incredible race. And it all started with Randy Krumenacker, who I still can't believe I'm saying this. The actual reason he was starting at the back of the grid, it's amateurish. I cannot believe this. 
They sent him to the grid. This team sent him to the grid without enough fuel in the bike, which I find what? amazing. They, no, he, he was rolling out of pit lane on the bike, and apparently there are only five litres of petrol in it. How? How do they get that wrong? <laughs> like, this is this is amateur hour. Like, what the hell is that? I know. <laughs> like, like, like was he was in no mood to like spare his team's blushes afterwards in part of them. He basically um, showed them up and threw them under the bus. He was like, yeah. We came out of pit lane and there was only five litres of fuel in the bike, so we had to put the bike back into the pit lane to refuel it um, and make sure we had enough fuel to actually take the start. And obviously, by doing that, he had to start from yeah, he had to start the formation like from pit lane and then race from the back of the grid, twenty seventh on the grid uh, for Randy Krumenacker. Um But what followed from that? What followed the amateurish conduct of his of his team, the Evan Bros um, Yamaha team? We said it's one of the races of the season. That performance from Krumenacker, 27th on the grid, to very nearly win it, was one of the rides of 2018. Yeah, pencil that in for my Motorsport 101, like, for Bike Live and Motorsport 101 awards for individual performance of the year, because that was astonishing from from Krumenacker. We might have to name the episode Krumenacker, basically, <laughs> after, uh, after this, because that was absolutely sensational. Um... To come from the back of the field, he was tenth by the end of lap three. Um, he, he, That's still he, a long way back, though. That was still a good five or six seconds off the leaders, but he he, he just racked up fastest lap after fastest lap after fastest lap. He did not give in. He got to the leading group, fought his way through there. Obviously, he took advantage of the enormous crash of Caracasulo and Stapleford um, in there as well um, towards the end, but got up to the leading pack and very nearly won that race. Um, phenomenal, like a, a cut above everybody else out there this weekend. Again, it, 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 it makes his team look even more stupid for screwing that one up hmm. because he had the pace to win that race at a cakewalk. Um, he was the fastest man on track for the vast majority of that race. Could have won it. Maybe you could argue should have won it given the right circumstances but doesn't take away from an absolutely phenomenal performance from Randy Krimenak. And that was sens- and that was a sensational bit of riding and the cherry on top for what was an all-time classic. Yeah, I mean, we we have to try and put this into context, whereas like sometimes you see riders come from the back of the grid to do well, and um, we see it in car racing as well. Remember, Lewis Hamilton came from the back of the grid once at Spa, but it was helped by an early safety car. Um, we, mm. we, we've seen um, races red flag that closed the field up. We've seen... Um, riders taken out, as you mentioned, a lot of crashes that promote riders up the order. Um, we've seen riders, in perhaps in the past, make up a lot of ground on lap one, which has helped them. Krumenacker was still 18th at the end of lap one, guys. Um, and and uh, yeah, whoever, who ends the first lap of a 18-lap race in 18th position and still puts himself in a position on the final lap where they can win it? Um, that, that just doesn't happen. Uh, it, it just beggars belief how he was able to do this. Ludicrous. Um, absolutely ludicrous. And yeah, he was smashing lap records as he did it, um, as he went through the race. Um, just an incredible, incredible performance um, from Krumenak. As Dre mentioned, he was still several seconds um, off the race leader um, very early on in that race. At the end of lap one, um, yeah, Krumenaka was down in 18th. And yeah, he was five seconds um, off the race leader. That was lap one. Um, of the race um, and he still had to overtake guys as he was coming through the field um, to try and you know clamber his way up the order and try and get a result out of it um, and somehow he did it um, trying to follow, follow his way through the race yeah lap one and that one he was four seconds back lap two uh, it was up to 4.9 lap three 4.6 um, and that was by going from 10 12 to 10 so he overtook two guys and he was still three tenths quicker than the leaders um, which is incredible um, by lap 6 he's still 4.5 seconds off the lead um, so you know, we're third of the way through the race he's still 4.5 seconds back and then all of a sudden he starts taking a second lap out of them once he got into clear track um, and Amazing. smashing lap records as he did it uh, and as Dre mentioned the only incident that really helped him climb up the order quickly or quicker than he would have done was that incident between Caracasulo uh, and Luke Stapleford um, and as far as that incident's concerned, Ray, uh, Luke Stapleford was initially given a ride-through penalty for that um, mm. and you know demoted, race, yeah. uh, demoted out of the points, all the way out of the points. He was then promoted back into fifth again after the race. And uh, Luke Stapleford maintains to this day, he said on Twitter, I did not touch him. Um, you know He maintains there was no contact, which makes me think that race direction were a little bit trigger-happy 
in their uh, awarding of a penalty to stay before, before they'd even seen all the angles of it. Blood lost. Um, <laughs> they saw the giant flying Yamaha heading off towards the ground. Thought, well, that's got to be Stapleford's fault, hasn't it? Yeah. Um, but no, they, they they looked at the footage again, and yes, they did realise that Stapleford did indeed not touch Garakazulo. It was it was a it was a tight, it was a hard but fair passing attempt from Stapleford. Garakazulo just lost control of the bike and. To be fair, it was an awful-looking accident in real time. I think you're going at a good 140 miles an hour through that complex, and next thing you know, he's he's, he's on the ground sliding, and his bike's literally 50 feet away from him, um, which obviously wasn't ideal. But, um, yeah, it turns out if it didn't touch him, and I'm glad the stewards took another look, and they did the right thing in reinstating Stapleford back into that fifth place because it, it was a very, very good performance from Stapleford to begin with, and I'm glad he was allowed to keep that fifth place because... Uh, yeah, it wasn't his fault, and I'm, and I'm glad the Stewards did the right thing. But, you know, just go easy on by handing out all these. Like, that's a massive penalty to be handing somebody mm. without looking at the footage properly. Like, yeah, they, they did it, like, like within two laps of it, didn't they? they you know, it wasn't like they yeah. waited after the race. They straight away just slapped him with 25 seconds, which I thought was, you know, it, like I said, it's trigger-happy and harsh. Um, and, yeah, Stapleford was reinstated after the race, after an appeal from his team, um, and quite rightly, too. Uh, through it all um, came... A familiar winner in one respect because Yamaha won again. They've won every race this season. Um, but for the first time, Drake, since MagniCore 2016, we can finally sit here and say Jules Dam Cluzel has won a World Superspot race. Yes! Boy, are we happy to say that. Yes! Finally! Cluzel wins! And I, I, yes! for me, for braving out around the outside of Krumenacker through that fast left before the chicane on the final lap, that deserved the victory in itself. Like, when when the chips are down, I don't think anyone in Boston bigger nuts than Jules Cazell. Like I I, I I do not know how he does this half the time, and he has been so unlucky for the last year and a half. He's been so close to other victories. He's been taken out in other races. He's had an engine block in Thailand last season. Like he could have had a good five or six of these by now in the last year and a half, and. I'm delighted he finally got one. No one in the field was more deserving of a win in the last year and a half than Jules Clazell. Um, he's he's such a quality rider. And he was the guy that was in control for the majority of that race. He got the whole shot, led the majority of the running. It was, you know was under pressure a little bit towards the end, but again, like, Krimanaka was all over him, and he, and he survived that dogfight, and he came through to win it. Um, brilliant ride from Clazell uh, under intense pressure from a probably angry red mist had already descended Krimanaka, um, thinking, how the hell did it come to this? Um, but, yeah, uh, he, he rode yeah. that final lap perfectly, uh, did Clazell. He, he defended where he had to. He took a very deliberately defensive line into the disturbing hairpin at the start of the lap where Krimanaka was so mm-hmm. strong. Um, didn't enable Krimanaka to get past him on the back straight that followed that. Uh, and as I mentioned, the, the the stones on this guy through through the ramshot corner, which is the uh, effectively the penultimate corner in Assen, for those that know the circuit well, it's that fast left-hander before the chicane. Um, and Krimanaka, oh, no. Tr- Krimanaka sticks it up the inside of Cluzel. And Cluzel, rather than letting him through and then thinking, I'll have a go in the chicane, he thinks, no, I'm going to brave out around the outside here. Um, and hold him up. Like, how does he do that? Um, sticks it out around the outside, gets into the chicane first, misses a gear on the exit of the chicane. Um, but because Krumenaka was so close behind him, Krumenaka had to go wide and ended up going off onto the curbs, and Cluzel still held on um, to it. That would have been the most Cluzel thing ever if he'd missed a gear on the exit of the chicane and lost it to Krumenaka. Um, no, right? In the end. Uh, but fortunately, Krumenaka was so caught off guard by it, he had to go off the track in the end. Um, and stayed in second. Um, so congratulations to Cluzel. His first victory of the year, his first victory since the end of 2016, because he went winless last year, um, and it's brought him right into the title shakeup. up uh, in second, but we have to talk as well, Dre, about the guy in third, because um, so far this season, every single podium spot has gone to a Yamaha rider, but that then was brought to an end at Assen, um, by the Italian Raffaele De Rosa, who finished third on the MV Augusta. Um, I mean, he's been doing the Lord's work for them already because he led the race in Aragon for them um, and was still fighting for the lead when his engine blew up. Um, yeah. But he got his just rewards, led at various stages when he was battling with Clouzel and got that MV Augusta onto the podium, which is the least he deserved. Yeah, like like an MV Augusta and it doesn't suck. Yeah. Um, 
Brilliant. Um, yeah, Rafael De Rosa again. As um, we all we like, like, you know, it's bad when like Greg Kane tweeted this again like earlier in the week, but basically saying that it's looking like they could be taking Yamaha's revs away as well. Which is like, oh, just, like, right, more Dorna related rev potential limiting shit um, <laughs> because, because they are they are trying to bring Yamaha back down to earth for yeah, being so good this year. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, uh, <laughs> maybe it should. But um, they're, they're trying to bring Yamaha down to Super Sport. But again, Rafael De Rosa is done a fantastic job in the MV. And it, it kind of begs the question off the end. We had to show that Marias had a big crash of his teammate as well for the Kawasaki's. Yeah. It, I, don't, I, don't I don't say this to, to put down anyone else in the field. But how good is Keenan Safogolu if he's the only Kawasaki yeah. within, within a country mile of these Yamahas? Like that is walking proof that maybe we shouldn't be having limits. Maybe we just have not need appreciated better riders how... on the bike. <laughs> yeah, maybe we just haven't realised just how phenomenal Keenan Sofogli. It's it's crazy, but um, yeah, Rafael De Rosa again, brilliant. But again, another guy that could have won the race on a different day was brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Um, and again, like deserved that second place. Maybe like deserved the second place if not the win. He was just phenomenal. Um, very unlucky not to win it. Hmm. Almost lost in all of this, um, given how crazy and how thrilling a race it was, um, were two other Yamaha riders. First of all, the championship leader and reigning champion, Lucas Mayas, who finished in fourth in the end, um, only three-tenths of a second off the win, so he was hardly uncompetitive, mm-hmm. um, but a fourth for him. Um, and Sandro Cortese, who qualified on pole position, having won his first Supersport race last time out in Aragon, Finishing down in sixth, which again, only 1.1 off the win. Um, so again, hardly uncompetitive. Um, they're both right in the mix in the championship. Uh, Mahias leads on 71, a point ahead of Krumanaka. And Cortese's third on 64. Um, so just seven points covers the top three. Um, not exactly great results for either Mayas or Cortese. But in a race like that, I suppose, Dre, they, they'll probably just be glad for what they got and keen to move on to Imola. Yeah, indeed. I mean, that's not a terrible result, but uh, that bog down off the start was um, cost them big, really, on this one. Um, yeah, Cortese had the uh, pole advantage for all of about 10 yards. Yeah, just completely bogged down on the launch, and Lucas Myers to just took the whole shot by a good 50 feet by the time they got to turn one. It was a, really a shame on that one. But, um, yeah, as you said, like Cortese's advantage from being on pole was gone but he was in the leading group it's not a terrible result it's not it's not a bad haul of points and i'm sure they'll move on to him which will be at home as well so he's going to be well up for that um i'm expecting to be up the front again yeah it's uh it's a brewing up to be a really really exciting um world super sports season this if it hasn't been already here's how the uh, race then finished um at assen jules cluzel the winner after Thank God, finally a win for Cluzel. First win, actually, it has to be mentioned, first ever win for the new Nerds Racing Team, um, who will never tire will never tire of telling you their name. Um, that's what that's what the NRT stands for, for those that are wondering what it means on the graphics. It's Nerds Racing Team. Um, and Cluzel, the winner from Krumenaka, who deserved better. Second for him, one of the best rides we've seen in a long time. Rafa de Rosa, third for MV. Uh, Mayas, fourth. Stapleford, great ride for him on the Triumph once he was reinstated back into fifth. And Cortese, sixth. Uh, Nicky Tooley, seventh, first of the Hondas. Um, Rob Hartog on home territory, eighth. Thomas Gradinger, second of the Nerds riders, ninth. Uh, and Loris Cresson, who's riding for the Calio team as teammates Cortese, was tenth. Uh, rest of the points went to Hannes Soma of Estonia, Ayrton Badovini, who's the second factory MV rider, uh, Andrew Irwin of British Supersport last year, finally over his injuries and in the points in 13th. Well done to him. Uh, Wade Tessels in 14th, and the Finn Emily Latti. Uh, in 15th position, takes the final point. Championship standings then, um, after four rounds of the season, uh, and we have another 7-8 to go at World Supersport. Mayas leads by one point from Krumenaka, 71 over 70. Cortese's third, just seven off the lead. Cluzel is now just 21 points off the championship lead in fourth, so he's right in contention. He's a point ahead of Caracasulo in fifth. Stapleford sixth. DeRose seventh. Tuli eighth. Kyle Smith, who crashed last weekend, is ninth. And Thomas Gradinger, the Austrian, completes the top 10. 11th in the championship is Anthony West, and we have to wish him well because he had a horrendous crash um, last weekend at Assen when his throttle stuck open, mm. uh, which pitched him into the barriers. Um, he's recovering from the injuries he sustained from there that caused him to miss the race at Assen. We wish him well. 
Uh, right, finally then, before we go, we have to talk about this World Superspot 300 race. You've probably all seen this final lap um, that's been uh, that's been doing the rounds on social media this week, courtesy of Eurosport. If you haven't, find it. Um, it's easy yes. to find. Um, one of the most incredible final laps to a race. I mean, we if we think back to last year's race, the uh, World Superspot 300 race we had at Assen, that was chaotic enough. Um, mm-hmm. But... Have you, in all the years you've been watching motorsport on two wheels or four, seen a final lap quite like that? No. <laughs> <laughs> and I've been watching nearly twenty years. Um, Jesus. Um, I've, I've, I've got, I've got nothing on this one. Um, that, that was an incredible, incredible, utterly bonkers final lap. Where I've, I joked about. When I first saw this on Twitter. I joked. I said, here. Here's a game you can play. Take a screenshot of the leading group going into the second half of that lap. Take a guess who wins. You'll be wrong. I guarantee you, you'll be wrong. Because four different race leaders bottled it and fell in some capacity on the final half a lap. Um, They're going four wide around around the section as well. And, oh, Jesus. Like, the the last one going into the final chicane where... Oh, poor like guy's on for his home win, and Aston he's he's literally three hundred yards from the flag, and his brakes fails, and he has to he has to abandon ship at one hundred and twenty miles an hour. Um, it is a ridiculous race. It's one of the most ridiculous finishes I've ever seen in a bike race ever. Um, just oh ridiculous utterly utterly ridiculous you have to see it to believe it yeah let's try and paint the picture uh, of what happened on this final lap because i mean it'd be a brilliant race anyway before that because we had 11 riders in the leading group fighting at the front um only seven of them made it to the flag um without going off or uh, turning themselves upside down before then um, but here's how it went. Mika Perez was leading the race, heading into uh, De Bolt, which is, I think it's turn nine at Acid. It's around about halfway around the final lap, the left-hander. Um, Perez goes down, loses the front. That promotes Tom Edwards, the Australian, into the lead. He, at the very next corner, Mandevane, high-sides it and loses the lead. That takes out what was essentially the de facto new leader, Danny Valle, who would have inherited the lead from him. He can't avoid um, Edwards' bike, and he trips over it and goes off himself into the gravel. So that's three uh-huh. that's, that's three gone. Uh, the very next corner, the fast right kink, which famously Jorge Lorenzo broke his collarbone at in the wet a few years ago, um, we see Luca Grunwald make contact with Con Muffles, who's the championship leader going to that race, the winner of Aragon on the KTM. Uh-huh. They go through the fast left-hander of, uh, of Ramshuk, down towards the final chicane, and all of a sudden, you see Muffles, the young Dutchman on the KTM, go spearing off into the gravel with no brakes. That's because that contact with Grunwald clearly unseated his brake calipers or just severed a brake line or something. He had absolutely no brakes. He spears off into the gravel. Fortunately, he was okay. Um, but a fast, fast crash for him. Through all of that comes Luca Grunwald, the German, on the Freudenberg KTM to take his first World Superspot 300 win. Um by six hundredths of a second from Glenn Van Stralen, the Dutchman who finished second here last year as a wild card. This time right. he's a re- this time he's a regular rider. He inherited second, and Scott Derue, who um, now leads the championship, took third. He won this race last year uh, on the Motorsport Kawasaki. And he finished third. An absolutely chaotic finish um, to a brilliant, brilliant Supersport 300 race. Um, that. Quite frankly, anybody could have won uh, in the end. Uh, but in the end, it went to Grunwald. He won it from Van Stralen uh, by 600 of a second. Then Daru in third. Anna Carrasco in fourth. Shout out to her. She finished fourth on the DS Junior Kawasaki. Mm-hmm. Um, with Valid Khan, another Dutch rider, in fifth. Nikita Kalinin, the Ukrainian, sixth. Dorin Lorero, the South African teammate to Carrasco, was seventh. And that was the rest of the leading group that made it home. Everyone else had to uh, go a rather different route to the flag. Uh, Janik, the German, was eighth. He's the teammate to Grunwald. Uh, Manuel Gonzalez, who was last year's European Talent Cup champion, uh, he finished ninth. And Maria Herrera, you'll know her from previous Moto3 races, she finished tenth in the end. Just ahead of the aforementioned Danny Valle, who had to take that tore through the gravel trap after Edwards crashed in front of him. He ended up 11th over the line. The rest of the points went to Danny Valle, as I mentioned, 11th. Max Kapler, 12th. Uh, Ali Rusmiputro, the Indonesian, 13th. Um, Mark Luna Bayem, the Spaniard, in 14th. Um, and Koopman, the latest Dutchman of a long line of them in the field, uh, he finished in 15th position in the end and took the final point. Muffles, Perez and Edwards 
um, all failed to finish in the end. Royal Classified one lap down, and they could quite easily mm-hmm. have won the race in the end. What an incredible finish to that Superspot 300 race it was. What it all means for the championship after two rounds of the season so far. Daru leads it at the moment. Um, he has 36 points, four ahead of Grunwald, who's leapt up to second um, as a result of his win last weekend. Van Stralen is third on 29. Muffles with his win uh, and Aragon is fourth now on 25, just ahead of Carrasco on 23. Kalinin's on 23 as well. Larrero on 17. Perez on 16, as is Valid Khan. And Robert Shotman is 10th in the championship on 11 points. Next round of all of those classes that we mentioned um, is at Imola, um, which has signed a new contract, by the way. It's taking it all the way uh, for another five years to 2023. Um, one of the classic Yay. World Superbike rounds. That is on May the 12th and 13th. Um, so that is two weeks from now. There is actually one other class that I need to tell you about from uh, the Aston weekend, and that was the Superstock Thousand class. All that really needs to be told from that weekend is that Marcus Reiterberger won again and won by miles. Got it? Yes. Good. Right. Good. <laughs> that brings us to an end of this uh, of this incredible marathon of uh, double episodes that we brought you here on Bike Live. Huge thank you to uh, all of you that are tuning to both shows. Um, we very much appreciate your input. Huge thank you to Henry, who's still listening in the background on page, on the uh, Discord server. So huge thank you to you. Good man. Um, <laughs> backers on Patreon, and you can do the same. Um, places you can find us before we go, facebook.com forward slash motorsport101. On Twitter, we are at motorsport, at motorsport underscore 101. Uh, the owner of the Motorsport 101 Twitter account hasn't just run into our threats yet. Um, on YouTube, youtube.com forward slash motorsport101. Our website is motorsport101.net. Uh, and as mentioned, if you want to um, earn yourself early access to these shows, either by um, you know getting it on our Patreon server or by earning access to Discord, you need to do that by backing us on Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash Motorsport 101 is the place to do it. Don't know about you, Dre, but I feel absolutely criminacked. So we're going to wrap this up. Um, Good huge idea. thank you to all of you for listening. We'll be back next week for episode 58 of Bike Live on Motorsport 101. It's worth pointing out that absolutely nothing's happening this weekend, so we don't quite know what we're doing yet. Uh, But whatever (laughs) happens, we'll figure it out. We'll see you next week. Take care.